How unfortunate that yet once again you find yourself at my doorstep. Perhaps the allure of the monsters themselves draw you back in, or perhaps it is a curse that keeps you here. Either way, this week we learn about the Wendigo. The Wendigo is a curious creature in that it, it doesn't have any documented, reported sightings and is has basis in a couple of different categories. One, actually being a mythological creature. Uh, two, being an evil spirit. And then three, being a psychosis that a person can experience. The origins of it, though, are based heavily and almost exclusively to North America, um, primarily up in uh, Canada in the areas of uh, Nova Scotia, Eastern Coast, and the Great Lakes region. Uh, the furthest south that we have reports of it are mostly in northern states like Minnesota. Much of the lore of the creature comes from the Algonquin people, which were a native tribe that stretched across much of what is now Canada uh, along the northeast coast of America, of uh, the United States, again into the Great Lakes regions. Um, we also have descriptions of the creature itself coming in from others, such as the, uh, the Wechuga from the Athabascan people, which were located in the northwest Pacific coast. We also have um, other tribes such as the Ojibwe, and again, I apologize for all these pronunciations, the Salto, the Cree, the Naskapi, and the Innu. And while they all are different tribes, they all share a similar description of the animal or beast or monster uh, and where it is associated, what it's associated with. Um, it is typically associated with winter, uh, northern climates, coldness, famine, starvation, and of course cannibalism. So let's get into the description of the creature itself. Uh, one Algonquin legend describes it as a, as quote, a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be uh, entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes, end quote. One Ojibwa, uh, Ojibwe, uh, describes it as, quote, It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a, became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. End quote. And then from Basil H. Johnson, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, uh, quote, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion was the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into the sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption." End quote. So they share similar descriptions across the, the couple different tribes, um, all of them being it a skeletal figure, something freshly dug up or um, akin to a corpse, something that is wasting away. Um, 
some reports have it being, you know, normal human size. Others have it being upwards of 15 feet. It depends on the region and the, um, I guess, culture surrounding it. But they all have little variations, just like the ones I read, where some say it has lips and others say, no, it definitely does not have lips. Either way, you're looking at something not necessarily zombie-like because they're not rotting, um, but they are definitely corpse-like, and that ties into what the, the Wendigo actually is. Before we get into that, though, um, there are a lot of different interpretations of the Wendigo. If you go out and do like a, an image search for one, you'll see a lot of them with uh, essentially rotted-out bodies where they're... Their ribs are exposed, their guts are hanging out, sometimes they'll have deer heads, uh, or antlers are the most common depiction of them now. Um, others will have them with fur or hooves, where they're taking on a more beast-like um, depiction. And when looking into that, like, why why do some Wendigos have antlers and others don't? It mostly comes down to just the rule of cool. Um, if it looks cool, let it slide. And... Somewhere along the line of this myth and legend, it started to take on a more bestial form, but that was just more in its depictions and, and artwork. Um, if we go back to the, the root lore itself, it's always going to be this corpse-like description with the, the heart of ice and, and things like that. So how do we actually make a Wendigo? How do they come about? Where, where do they come from? There's actually, again, as I said at the top of the show, a couple different ways you can get a Wendigo. And generally, they are used as a metaphor for things like gluttony, greed, and excess. Um, and several of the native tribes like the Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, uh, the West Main Swampy Cree, Naskapi, uh, Inulor. Wendigos, they're described as giants that are many times larger than a, a human being, which is, again, something that's absent in those Algonquin uh, legends. But they say that whenever a Wendigo eats another person, it would grow in proportion to the meat it had just eaten, um, so it could never be full. They use it as, again, a story of um, uh, essentially like Aesop's fables, where it would be... Uh, a tale to warn against these things and with it growing in size it's depicted as a creature that's gluttonous and ravenous and will consume everything around it and it can never be full but because it grows in accordance to what it eats it's always extremely thin and it's always on the point of starvation um, and no matter how much it consumes it can never be made full or feel good and it's again a cautionary tale against those those terrible qualities and that's what we see with a lot of the Wendigos themselves. And as they move again through time, we lose that emphasis on what it was and what it you know should be avoided and more into just a, a cool looking monster. Now the most common cause of a Wendigo or how they're created is essentially it's when a human ever whenever a human has to resort to cannibalism in order to survive typically this would be when again the native population or settlers throughout the land find themselves stranded out in a bitter snowstorm or you know out in the wilderness and they've got nothing to eat and they end up turning on their their fellow man and eating their flesh which then turns them into a wendigo curse to forever wander the land in search of more human flesh the other most common case would be of a spirit possessing a 
individual and forcing them into cannibalism. Um, this leads into what is known as the Wendigo psychosis, which is the most common um, case of reports when we look at Wendigos in history as, as far as, you know, oh, we, we've encountered a Wendigo. You never really hear stories about people seeing this gigantic 15-foot emaciated creature wandering the, the wilderness. Instead, they're encountered with people who seem to be possessed by the spirit of a Wendigo. And this is something that's leaked into popular culture with games like Until Dawn being you know heavily centered on uh, the Wendigo and several books and films. It's almost always a malevolent spirit possessing a person um, and causing them to do these acts. So they might not be physically transformed, but they still have the characteristics. And when we look at uh, the 1661 account in the Jesuit relations, we have, quote, What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake. Namely, that the men uh, deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death previous winter in a very strange manner. These poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and, as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness." End quote. Another story comes from a Plains Cree trapper in Alberta named Swift Runner. It was during the winter of 1878 that Swift Runner and his family were starving. His eldest son died. Despite being 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at a Hudson's Bay Company outpost, Swift Runner decided to butcher and eat his wife and five remaining children. It's thought that he didn't really resort to cannibalism um, because he was relatively so close to food supplies, but that he killed and consumed the remains of everyone present. It was thought it wasn't really cannibalism out of need, um, but rather a form of the Wendigo psychosis. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. Another of the more well-known stories comes from a, a chief or a shaman of the Sucker Dodum uh, or Dudum among the Anishinaabe tribe, which was in Northwest Ontario. And this is regarding Jack Fiddler, uh, who lived from 1839 and then died in 1907. Jack Fiddler was a well-known and famous shaman who had an alleged ability to conjure animals and protect his people from spells and uh, enemy shamans from rival tribes. But more importantly to the people of the region, he was known that he uh, to be able to defeat a Wendigo. Uh, and they classified it again as a cannibalistic spirit that would possess people during uh, famine, disease, bouts, things like that. In his lifetime, Jack Fiddler claimed to have defeated about 14 Wendigos. 
Apparently some were sent against his people by enemy shamans and others were members of his own band who were taken with an insatiable, incurable desire to eat human flesh. In the latter case, Fiddler was asked by family members to euthanize a very sick loved one before they ended up becoming a Wendigo. In some instances, the Wendigo would come to Jack Fiddler themselves and ask to be put down uh, according to necessary rites and, and uh, traditions so they would not turn on their own. Uh, in fact, uh, Jack Fiddler's own brother, uh, Peter Flett, was killed after he turned Wendigo when the food ran out on a trading expedition. Now, the fall of Jack Fiddler is, in my opinion, a sad one because it's another example of expansion by in this case, Canadians, into native population to impose their will. And it was in early 1907 that two members of the Northwest Mounted Police uh, were visiting Island Lake and they heard of Jack Fiddler's power uh, against the, the, the Wendigo. Um, they went to go introduce or impose Canadian law uh, in the North. So they went to the sucker camp at Deer Lake and they arrested uh, Jack and Joseph Fiddler uh, for the reported murders of these Wendigos or people. Now before leaving they took uh, eyewitness reports and then they declared that each man must give up any extra wives they had. Now in this instance, since the uh, sucker people were relatively isolated, this was the first instance that they were seeing um, the white man. <laughs> so the, the brothers were charged with the murder of a, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that name, but it was Joseph's daughter-in-law. Uh, they were held in the Norway house to await trial. And once newspapers kind of picked up the story, they went nuts with it. And as we found out with the Jersey Devil story, just started printing all sorts of things about murder, devil worship. And they were wanting, you know, the, the Fiddler brothers' heads and essentially just seeking out the most uh, extreme form of punishments because this was a case of cultures clashing where... You know, Europeans were much more, quote, civilized here. And the native population was just doing what they had been doing for their entirety of their existence. So while Canadians were looking for convictions, the police were looking at it as an opportunity to advance their own agenda. And it was on September 30th in 1907 that Jack Fiddler escaped captivity during a walk uh, outside. He was found later in the day and uh, hanged himself. Joseph Fiddler still went to trial, though. Um, Angus Ray, the, the eyewitness, testified that uh, his daughter-in-law was killed while in deep pain and incurably sick, according to their customs. And again, they weren't aware of Canadian law and that this was a crime. They were just doing, again, what they had always done. The court pressed... Uh, pressed Angus on the Wendigo issue and he admitted that it was a belief among the people and that Jack and Joseph were the ones that were usually asked to euthanize the very sick to prevent Wendigos. Uh, despite some other unreliable testimony from Ray and the pleas of missionaries and uh, the HBC traders, Joseph was convicted and sentenced to death um, by Aylesworth Perry, the magistrate of the area. Further appeals secured his release, but the order came three days after his death in 1909. Now, it's after this time that reports of the Wendigo uh, in, I guess, actual reality 
if you want to call it that, start to fall off. We don't hear stories of the Wendigo psychosis as leading theory here is the native tribes were introduced to uh, European ways of living and their traditions either started to fall off or in cases of um, most common causes of Wendigo creation, we started to see less bouts of disease and famine and plague-like conditions that were normally the the fertile soil in which a, a Wendigo would bloom. Uh, so remove the cause for a Wendigo and you remove Wendigo itself. And in a lot of cases, that Wendigo psychosis would would disappear. But despite this, the Wendigo persists in popular culture. And we see it in several books, films, and in video games themselves. Now, they've taken on new traits and features. Again, a lot of the abilities and hunting methods of the Wendigo itself weren't really told in the traditional lore because, again, it acted as more of a cautionary tale. Instead, these abilities were granted to make a more terrifying monster, uh, something of a, a nemesis, if you will, and much like the antlers than the more animal-like appearance of the creature. They came well after the creature's inception and more into its adoption by more popular culture. I feel like I just repeated myself a lot there. But according to uh, the science side of HowStuffWorks.com, the Wendigo itself is a, a very intelligent creature that's able to employ stealth in order to stalk its prey for extended period of time. It uh, has supernatural speed and endurance and heightened senses. It can hear things um, like panicked heartbeats from miles away. Uh, it can track anyone through the woods thanks to its extraordinary vision. Um, they're able to you know, scream out. They're able to mimic human voices crying for help. They're able to upend trees, uh, cause animal stampedes, even tornadoes. And you're not safe when you try to hide inside a building because they can open any lock and enter homes where they'll kill and eat people and then turn those homes into a Wendigo uh, habitat itself. And of course, putting down the Wendigo is no easy task and more traditional lore. A Wendigo itself can actually starve to death if it goes long enough without food and some means. I guess these would be the more um, TV show-esque uh, monster of the week. You got to use silver and then you have to destroy its ice heart and shatter it and then lock it away. Otherwise, the, the Wendigo itself regenerates. Others say you can't kill the Wendigo itself. Instead, you must restrain it because that creates an opportunity for the spirit possessing the, the Wendigo itself to move to another host. So there's no concrete, definite way on how to deal with a Wendigo as much as there is like a werewolf or a, a vampire. And it's at this point, it starts to, you know, kind of, in my opinion, turn silly. But uh, I guess getting it back into popular culture here, the Wendigo makes several appearances. Um, we had it in the uh, uh, short story, The Wendigo, which was written by Algernon Blackwood in 1910. Um, it inspired a character in Stephen King's novel, Pet Cemetery. And uh, we have an upcoming film being released in April this year called Antlers, produced by uh, the master himself, Guillermo del Toro. And then um, I guess one of the more 
I guess, well-known, I said I guess a lot there, examples of the Wendigo itself comes from the video game Until Dawn, which was released on PlayStation 4 back in 2015 and was a episodic horror game based on a group of teens that go up to a cabin in the North Woods and are being picked off by what they think is a serial killer and in fact ends up being a uh, pack of Wendigos that were created when a, a group of miners were in a cave-in and a couple other examples there. Don't want to spoil it because I don't know much about it myself, but after doing all this Wendigo research, I, I really want to go play it. So, um, so yeah, that that's going to kind of wrap things up on the Wendigo itself. This was uh, a lot more interesting than I had initially anticipated. Um, a lot of good lore here. I guess what makes this unique is that the Wendigo itself is... Uh, exclusive to the North American continent, whereas a lot of monsters and myths will be coming from, you know, European region. And uh, I guess as we do more research, that's, that's the nice thing about monsters. They come from all over the world, but this one is unique to, I guess, what I would call home. So that's going to wrap this one up. We will be back next week uh, with a new monster. But until then, uh, if you want to get the episodes three days early, uh, released on Fridays in its own private feed, head over to patreon.com slash zero and zero nine. Pitch in a buck, that gets you the early access there. Otherwise, new episodes every Monday, and uh, that will wrap it up. Until then, keep your doors locked, your windows closed tight, and your teddy bear close.